2: Three,
0: two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you
2: say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Welcome well, in episode seven. Earnhardt Jr. The Kirk Kirk it is, on the phone. is Monday, here. October 23rd, 2023. People. I hope everybody's doing cool. I hope everybody had a great weekend. Enjoyed another crazy Saturday of college football. And I hope you're ready for a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Here is what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open. That top 10 matchup, Penn State-Ohio State. Oh, it it went a little different than a lot of us thought. Yes, I picked Penn State to win. I thought it was a bad day for James Franklin. Also got to give credit to Ryan Day, who I thought had one of his finer moments as Ohio State's head coach. From there, we take a quick break. We come back. You know who did not have a fine moment? Lincoln Riley and the USC Trojans. They lose a second straight and all the conversations are beginning. Should Caleb Williams shut it down? Is Lincoln Riley going to the NFL? Does the NFL even want him? Which I think is an interesting conversation. We will discuss all of that. Quick break. Wrap with Bama beating uh, Tennessee. Clemson taking another loss. They look very average. I think the kids call it mid. So busy show, loaded show, fun show. Before we get started, do have a quick reminder. The Aaron Torres Pod and Aaron Torres Pod YouTube page have partnered with DraftKings Sportsbook this football season, legal sports betting is now in the state of Kentucky, and DraftKings has an incredible offer for listeners of the Aaron Torres bot. Bet $5 on any game. First-time customers, by the way, first-time users. Bet $5 on any game, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you use the promo code Taurus. This is what you need to know. This is what you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Bet $5 on any game. Football basketball, hockey, baseball, all the sports are going on right now. You can bet $5 on any of them, and you get $200 in bonus bets instantly. When you use the code TORS, if you are a first-time customer, thank you to DraftKings Sportsbook. Fired up to be working with them, and I appreciate their support. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, you know, bluntly, you already know where I'm going to start. Columbus, Ohio, that top 10 matchup. Between Penn State and Ohio State, this one, even a Tuesday, Wednesday of last week, you could feel the everything building towards Saturday in Columbus. Two top 10 teams, undefeated. Both teams kind of needing a win to validate themselves. Um, and I think this one felt different even from other Penn State, Ohio State games for all the reasons that we talked about on the show throughout the week. Ohio State's coming in banged up. Penn State basically coming off of a double buy. They had a buy, and then they played UMass. Um, You know, Ohio State doesn't feel quite as elite as they've been. Penn State has been telling us since August that this is the most talented team that they have had under James Franklin. So you felt like even if there was a gap, not quite as big, if there is a gap at all, and it really felt like this was the week people were finally starting to buy into Penn State. Unfortunately, this Penn State-Ohio State game looked pretty much like every other Penn State-Ohio State game since 2016, as Penn State certainly had their chances. Penn State was in the game for most of the entire afternoon, and they didn't make the plays when they needed to. They came up short, and they lose 20 to 12 in Columbus. Worth noting, by the way, six of those points came on a touchdown with under two minutes to go, so it wasn't as though this was a really close game in the final few minutes, um, but yeah. Penn State loses. This felt like the year they were finally going to get him. And let me just say this. I've been hesitant on this show to really go after James Franklin, but I think bluntly for all the reasons I just laid out, this one falls on him. And a guy who has taken so much wrath from his fan base, I think deserves every bit of it today coming out of this Penn state, Ohio state game. And before, you know, before we get to all the miscues, let, let me say a couple things here. One, I, I know there shows, Oh, you got to credit Ohio state. And I do want to credit Ohio state. And I do think there is a segment of Penn state fans that would sit there and say, look, Torres, come on, man, you're being too tough. Ohio state is an elite defense. Uh, Ohio state was at home. Penn state lost its best edge rusher. Come on, man. Like somebody had to lose that game. And it just so happened to be us. And, and and maybe there aren't a lot of Penn State fans that feel that way, but I'm sure there are some. What I would say to that is, yes, let's credit Ohio State. The defense is elite. And we'll certainly talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Ohio State momentarily. But at the same time, I feel awful about the Chop Robinson situation. I'm not saying that injuries are ever anything you root for or whatever. But Ohio State was plenty banged up coming to this game. So don't sell me on injuries and don't sell me on, well, it's Ohio State. You know, everything's still ahead of us. Yes, I get it. But, and I get Michigan's at home, but again, this was the year, this is not an elite Ohio state team by Ohio state's own standards. And you know how I know that because Gus and Joel talked about it on the broadcast. They said that James Franklin said that in their meeting. So don't tell me it's Ohio state and they're great. And, you know, credit to them. Why are you blaming Penn state? This one to me falls on Penn state. And again, it falls on James Franklin. And it was just, it was a game where it didn't feel like Penn state was well prepared. Didn't feel like they were well coached. Didn't really feel like they did anything. Well, if we're being honest, first of all, the offense was abysmal. Okay. 255 yards of total offense. um, And a lot of it came again on that final scoring drive with whatever it was two, three, four minutes to go beyond that drew aller who we have been sold is finally the answer at the quarterback position, well, he wasn't on Saturday, 18 of 43 passing, uh, obviously the late touchdown, but he was not good, he missed so many throws, and, and and listen, part of it was that, again, credit to the Ohio State defense, and part of it is, yes, you can't blame James Franklin, uh, because his quarterback missed some throws, but I didn't love the play calling, it felt super conservative, and then, oh, by the way, even if you want to say that Drew Aller did not have his best game, I would agree with you, but at the same time, how many different coaches, offensive coordinators, and quarterbacks do we have to go through before something clicks, right? Like we've been told for all these years, Sean Clifford can't beat the big boys. Well, wait until we get Drew Aller. A year ago, it was wait until we get Drew Aller, and he did not live up to anyone's expectations. He wasn't good enough, and some of it falls on him, but some of it falls on the coaching staff for the positions that they put him in. By the way, the rest of the stats are abysmal, okay? Okay couldn't really run the ball, still tried to run the ball, put yourself in a lot of third and longs. But how about this first stat? One of 16 odd third downs. I mean, that is insane. One of 16 third down conversions. It was just, it it was unbelievable to watch. It was unbelievable to see in person. And so again, it falls to me on, frankly, because I get it. Good team on the road. It's nothing's ever going to go perfect, but I can point to three, four, five moments in that game where I either thought it was just abysmal coaching or poor coaching or unprepared players. I mean, think about it like this. Think about all of the situations that happened throughout that game that you can sit there and point to the Penn State coaching, play calling, whatever. One, first of all, it was like the second or third drive. You pick up two big rushing plays back to back, and you're like, okay, here we go. Run games going with Nick Singleton. Immediately throw three straight passes. Didn't make sense. Don't capitalize on that. That's early. Later on, in the first half, big moment in time, you pin Ohio State back by its goal line. They're screwed. They can't get out of their own way. They can't do anything right. You set up the punt. Your punt returner is back. He returned two punts last week. I think his, his feet are on uh, right around the 50-yard line. Let's the punt go over his head, rolls about 25 more yards, becomes a 71-yard punt. What should have been the best field position you had all game, all of a sudden, boom becomes a a 70 plus yard drive that you are unable to capitalize on late in the game backed up against your own goal line drew Aller third and short what do you do drop him back and swing past the guy he six foot five six foot five 240 250 pounds whatever he is listen I get you don't ever want to get your quarterback hurt put him under center get the first down move the chains give yourself a chance and then finally I thought this was the worst that I saw on Saturday is Late in the game, about seven minutes left, Penn State is down by a touchdown. Penn State has the ball, and Joel Klatt is on the broadcast saying, you know, you got two, maybe three possessions left. You can't waste this one. But you're inside your own 50. You are backed up. How about this? And th- this drove me crazy. You you have third and three, okay? Uh, again, this is this is with seven minutes to go. You're going to get the ball back if your defense can get a stop, which it has done all game long. 33, you throw a pass, incompletion, surprise, surprise. That's all Drew Aller did on Saturday. Incomplete pass for fourth down. At that point, you kind of assume you're going to punt it, right? Well, crap, seven minutes left. You're going to have another possession. You're going to get the ball back, whatever. Instead, they go for it on fourth down. And so I'm sitting there saying, like, if if you were going to go for it on fourth down, why are you throwing crappy swing passes that your, that your quarterback can't throw and that your receivers can't catch? Because if that's the case hand the ball off, get a yard, and then get two more, and then move. If it's four down territory, you don't need to be throwing pass. So I could go on and on and on. But this, to me, all falls on the head coach. Because all these years, all these it's just not good enough. The raw stats tell you everything you need to know, okay? James Franklin, this stat is stunning. Against top 10 teams, James Franklin is now 3-16 and against top 10 teams as the Penn State head coach. Oh, by the way, 0-10 on the road. We crushed Jimbo Fisher because he can't pick up a big win on the road. Well, it's much the same with James Franklin. But to me, here is the part that, that really trips me up. Okay, What you really have to do is go back two years, the fall of 2021. Now, that was the year Penn State was good early. Sean Clifford gets hurt against Iowa. I remember talking about it on this show. Sean Clifford goes down team struggles, but that was the year LSU was open and USC was open. And James Franklin signs that massive extension, okay? And so to me, this is where I would be frustrated if I was a Penn State fan. I would be frustrated because when James Franklin signed that contract, he basically said, our commitment as a program has been good, but we aren't at the Ohio State SEC level where we are all in where we are willing to do whatever it takes to win at the highest level. If I'm going to come back, it's not just about paying me. It's about putting an infrastructure in place to get to the level that those teams are at. And so it drives me crazy when coaches beg, 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 beg. Money, this, facilities, that, staff, this, staff, that. This was my criticism of Mark Stoops when he was whining about NIL the other day. You've been given everything you want. At some point, go out and win a meaningful game late in the season, Mark Stoops. Okay? Hate to be critical. It's true and it's the same with James Franklin. Okay, you've been given everything. I'm not saying you have to beat the best Ohio State team that has ever played, but Justin Fields wasn't on that field, okay? Uh, Marvin Harrison was elite, but he didn't have his number two guy there. This wasn't two years ago, three years ago when you're facing Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, whoever. It's a very good Ohio State team, and we'll get to Ohio State in a minute, but at the same time, like it's not even that you lost it was the manner in which you did it you coach scared you looked unprepared you looked confused in the big moments and I'm sorry but if you're gonna ask 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 of your fan base I think your fans deserve better than what they got on Saturday James Franklin letting his team down credit to Ohio State but again that was that that was if I was grading James Franklin C minus D for that game it was just an Abomination. All right, let's switch gears and talk about things from the Ohio State perspective now. Obviously, we just spent quite a bit of time on Penn State. Certainly didn't think it was James Franklin's finest moment. But at the same time, I do want to switch gears and I do want to talk Ohio State. Because going back and and, and thinking about that game, I, I think there are really two ways that you can look at it and two ways I've seen that game observed. I've seen some say, wow. That Ohio State offense isn't as explosive as it used to be. Uh, You know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave ain't walking through that door, even though you still have Marvin Harrison. And what I would say is, listen, we'll get to Ohio State in a minute. No, the offense isn't as explosive, but they were also really, 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 really beat up on Saturday. Again, we'll get to those details momentarily. But at the same time, what I also want to do is take a moment and give Ryan Day, the head coach of those Ohio State Buckeyes, a whole lot of credit. I have been critical of him, but I do not believe that a year ago, certainly two years ago, they could have won that game under those circumstances if the offense played the way that it did on Saturday. And so in my opinion, I actually thought Saturday against Penn State top 10 matchup at home against an elite defense was one of Ryan Day's finest moments as a head coach at Ohio State, and I think he deserves credit. And it's funny because I think there's a lot of you probably sitting there driving around in your cars, listening to this saying, Torres, what are you talking about? Ryan Day's won multiple Big Ten championships. He played for a national championship, multiple playoff appearances. But at the same time, go back in time. Ryan Day got to those moments in time. A national championship against Alabama, uh, multiple playoff appearances. He got there doing it his way. It was about the offense. It was about fireworks. It was about pyrotechnics. And I believe it was about two, two and a half years ago that he had a very tough decision to make. He basically was in the same shoes that Lincoln Riley is at this exact moment, right? What is our criticism of Lincoln Riley today, late October, 2023? It is that he is an elite offensive mind, an elite play caller, an elite schemer. But basically his team has to put up 40 points every single game to get the victory. That literally happened on Saturday night. They gave up 36 points to Utah. We're going to talk about it in a minute, and they lost. And so Lincoln Riley continues to brush it off. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not the defense's fault. We'll figure it out. Well, Ryan Day kind of had that moment in time about two, two and a half years ago. But unlike Lincoln Riley, he didn't sit back and say, oh, you know, it's we'll figure it out. We'll be fine. You guys are putting unrealistic expectations. As a matter of fact, I give Ryan, uh, Ryan Day the credit because on Saturday night, and again, we'll get to USC momentarily, but Lincoln Riley said, National championships aren't the goal here. I don't know who came up with that idea. Well, Ryan Day is the exact opposite. Ryan Day, every time he's in front of a camera, says the expectation at Ohio State is to win every single game we play, and it is on me to get that job done. And so when I look at Saturday and when I look at why I think this was one of his finest moments, it wasn't because of what happened on Saturday, and it wasn't because of what Ohio State did over the course of this past week to get ready for Penn State. It really is what Ohio State has done the last two full years to fundamentally change who they are as a program. Think about, I've talked about Alabama a lot this year. Nick Saban over the course of this season has fundamentally changed how that team plays in about a three, four week period in the middle of the season. I think it's one of his best coaching jobs that he's ever done. Another topic that we'll talk about later in this show. Well, Ryan Day, it was two full years ago. Now, remember, They lost to Oregon at home at the horseshoe. That was that moment in time where Ryan Day kind of had his Lincoln Riley moment from last night where he said, I can't keep doing this. I can, but if we don't have an offense that can put up 40 points every single time, we're not going to be able to win. Remember, they played Oregon at the shoe early 2021. They get punked at the line of scrimmage. When he lost that game, rather than sitting there saying, oh, it's all going to be fine. We'll get it figured out. No. That Monday or Sunday, he demoted his defensive coordinator. It wasn't easy. Kerry Coombs, a longtime uh, guy that was in that program, beloved at that school, demotes that guy, eventually in the offseason brings in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State, the current defensive coordinator, and you can see the impact year over year over year. Two years ago, I looked it up before I did this segment, did a little bit of research, 68th nationally in total defense in 2021. That was the year they they went whatever it was 11 and 2 won the Rose Bowl but again they lost to Oregon and lost to Michigan. Last year top 15 nationally in total defense. This year they are currently a top 3 defense nationally. And so again, Saturday wasn't about a week. It wasn't about a game. It was about a culmination of a 3-year change as a program at Ohio State. It was about we have to be a team that hey, if we put up 50, that's great. But if we only put up 20, can we beat elite teams? Because there's going to be moments in time where we're going to have to do that. And that was Saturday. And you could sit there and say the offense doesn't look explosive, but let's talk about that for a minute. Because you look at the injuries that they dealt with, and this is another thing I think Ryan Day should get credit for. You know how banged up that Ohio State team was? Remember, Penn State was coming into that game off what was essentially a double bye. By two weeks ago, they played UMass at home. They had three weeks to get ready for Ohio State. Three weeks to get ready, and Ohio State still gets the victory. And they not only get the victory, but think about the circumstances under which they did it. Best running back, Travion Henderson. Poor kid hasn't been healthy in two full years. Leading rusher did not get a carry in that game because he was not good to go. Chip Traynham, second leading rusher, only had nine carries left last week's game, was a little bit banged up this week. Ameka Abuka. First round NFL draft picket wide receiver. Number two guy behind Marvin Harris did not play, is not healthy. And oh, by the way, Marvin Harrison hasn't really been healthy all year. And I've been told behind the scenes that Kyle McCord's got something going on too where he's not at full strength. So j- t- just take the injuries that are on the record. Leading rusher, second leading rusher, second leading receiver. Banged up quarterback in the middle of a grind. Much tougher schedule to this point than Penn State has played. And they get the win at home, but they get the win because of that defense. And ultimately to me, it goes to Ryan Day and it goes to the decisions that he made two, full years ago. That being good isn't good enough and that we need to elevate ourselves to another level defensively so we can elevate ourselves to another level as a program. I think it is one of the more underappreciated things. And again, for a guy that takes nothing but heat, I give him a lot of credit. Now, I know there's a lot of people that will say, yeah, but... Will that offense? you know, the, the the goal is always to win a national championship. I get it. And will that offense, what will it look like against Michigan? That's another conversation for four or five weeks down the road. What will it look like if you get in the playoff against a Washington or a whoever, a Georgia, whatever, those are conversations for down the road. We're so caught up in, we have, everything's about, do you win the national champ? There's only one team that wins it. And in this moment, I just think we need to take a minute and appreciate Ryan Day for everything that he has done with this team. Because again, I think he is doing as good of a coaching job as anybody in college football this year. And I, again, this is a two, three year process. I keep repeating it. So we'll get, we'll get out of here, take a quick break, but just give him a ton of credit. With that said, let's take a quick break and let's get back and react to the other guy that I just talked about that does not deserve any credit. It's Lincoln Riley. USC loses again. This is a huge loss. It is a huge loss. And it raises all sorts of questions. We already have the should Caleb Williams shut things down conversation. Lincoln Riley last week is linked to NFL jobs. There is so much noise coming out of USC right now. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back and we will discuss that. And there is a lot to discuss.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right,
1: everybody. I'm
2: back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. I do want to switch gears. Uh, and I do want to get into that, that fascinating USC-Utah game at the LA Coliseum on Saturday. Before we get into it, let's do the preface. I I know, you know, we want to be respectful of Utah, an incredible win on the road, unbelievable moment in time, basically playing with their third string quarterback. We find out that last year's starter, Cam Rising, is not going to be back at all this year. So I want to take a moment and appreciate Utah for everything that they've done. The program that Kyle Whittingham has built, it is unbelievable. At the same time, though, listen, this is not one of those feel-good, fluffy shows where we always have to spend 10 minutes talking about the team that won, and it's great, and everybody gets a juice box and a trophy. That's not how we operate here on the Aaron Torres Pod. And we got to talk about USC because that game was so bad. It was such an abomination. It was so awful on all levels, from coaching to playing to penalties to defense to offense. It raises all sorts of questions, and it also raises some very interesting conversations about the future of both Caleb Williams, should he opt out, should he not, and of course, Lincoln Riley as well, as last week, we got our first Lincoln Riley to the NFL rumors of the year, and I'm here to ask, if you're an NFL team, you sure you want Lincoln Riley? Let's get into it. Let's break it down. By now, look, everybody knows the situation, right? USC came into this game off of a loss to Notre Dame, and listen. Teams lose games, okay? It was bad. It was ugly. They get punked. Where the concern was, it was, that was really about the culmination of a three, four week stretch where they did not look great. Barely survived against Arizona State. Colorado rallies to score a million points. They fall down 17, nothing to Arizona. And so when they lose that game against Notre Dame, you sit there and say, oh my God, that was so bad. But the good news is in theory, Utah should be a get right game. Utah's always tough. They're the two-time reigning Pac-12 champ. Again, don't want to take away from what Kyle Whittingham has built. But at the same time, let's call a spade a spade. You're back at home. You're supposed to be a national championship contender. And if your defense cannot get right against Utah, which is essentially playing a third-string quarterback, and, oh, by the way, came into that game averaging just over 300 yards and 21 points per game, one of the worst offenses in all of Power 5 football. If you can't get right in that game, I don't really know what there is to tell you. Well, not only did Utah not get right, but this was a breakdown on all fronts in all phases, and I think it's just causing all sorts of conversation about this program. One, the defense is officially broken. We can't stop. There there is no denying it at this point. And I thought some of the conversation about the defense was maybe a little bit overrated the last couple weeks. I thought maybe Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams weren't getting enough of the blame, but on Saturday, there's just no excuse, right? Because think about what happened again, Utah came in averaging 21 points, 322 yards per game. They put up 483 yards, almost 500 yards and 36 points. But more importantly, you don't have to be an X's and O's expert to see how poorly coached they are. I say it all the time. I don't claim to be smarter than the head coaches and the coordinators and the guys that are paid millions to figure it out. But all you have to do is watch USC and you can see that they are not well coached. The bottom line is that there were replays where you could see guys take the wrong angles. You could see guys miss wide open tackles that you gotta make, that if you're watching college football all day, you see get made in other games by other teams all the time. So the defense was not good. But let me also say this. You know who I thought had an awful night on Saturday? I thought Lincoln Riley had one of his worst nights as a coach that I have seen. Not just because the defense is a mess. We know that. The offense, I thought, was terrible. First of all, early in the game, USC is running the ball very effectively. Off the Notre Dame game, you want to reestablish the line of scrimmage. You change some things along the offensive line. You're averaging seven yards per carry. Going into halftime, tie tie game 14-14. The first three possessions of the second half, I looked it up. USC called a grand total of one run, one run play. And guess what happened during that time? Utah took the lead and Utah took control of the game because you called one run play. There was one other run that Caleb Williams broke on what was a drop back pass. Like, what are you doing, Lincoln Riley? We knew coming out of last game, you had to reestablish the line of scrimmage, reestablish the run game to help your quarterback out a little bit. And you did it. And then you completely went away from it. And here's the bottom line. Yes, you could sit there and say USC scored 34 points and had a chance to win that game late. But at the same time, or 32 points or whatever it was. But at the same time, a couple of things. One, didn't establish the run. Two, the, 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 the multiple missed two-point conversions come back to bite you. But three... Here is the other thing about that game. You can sit there and look at the points, but you blew the two-point conversions. And then beyond that, how about this? You had a pick six for a touchdown, and Zachariah Branch set up the last touchdown with a 61-yard punt return. So if you want to blame the defense, you got to blame the offense because defense and special teams basically gave you 14 points. And so I think this is on Lincoln Riley. I think it's on the offense as much as it is the defense. But when you have a program that had national championship expectations with a Heisman Trophy winner coming back this year, and you're not good on offense and you're not good on defense, that falls on the head coach. And it now raises some very interesting questions coming out of this game. First of all, even before the talk about opting out for Caleb Williams came out, I was talking about it on Fox Sports Radio on Saturday night with my partner, Jason Martin. For people who have missed the conversation, okay? Emmanuel Acho from Fox Sports. Yes, I host Fox Sports Radio. I've never met Acho. I'm sure he's a great guy, whatever. But Acho basically said, look, Caleb Williams isn't playing in a bowl game. They're not winning a national championship, and he's not winning the Heisman this year. He should opt out. He should not play anymore. What I would say is a couple things. One, I don't want to absolve Caleb Williams because I don't think he's been perfect over the last couple weeks. And I don't think that – um I, I don't think that when I look at Caleb Williams right now, one, I, I don't think he's been very good, and I don't think this is going to happen. The bottom line is USC is still in position to actually play for a Pac-12 title. That is worth noting. Despite the loss, USC still only has one league loss. Oregon has one league loss. Utah has one league loss. So they can still play for a Pac-12 title. So I don't want to uh, absolve Caleb Williams. But as far as the opt-out conversation, let me let me be blunt. I am somebody who loves college sports as much as anybody, okay? Love college football, love college basketball. I hope you see and hear the passion every time you listen to this show. But I can tell you that this is the first time that if a guy decides to opt out during the season without injury before a bowl game, I actually wouldn't blame him. And, oh, Torres, what kind of teammate? this and that. Here's the bottom line. I'm all for being a great teammate. I'm all for being one of the brothers, you know, being, a, be, you know, being a part of a brotherhood. Right. And I get that you have 84 guys in that locker room that are counting on you. But at the same time, let me also say this. If all of the people that you have entrusted. To have your back. If none of them have your back, it is not your obligation to carry them when no one else is living up to their end of the bargain. Lincoln Riley is not living up to his end of the bargain, okay? Lincoln Riley has did not call a good game on Saturday. They were averaging seven yards per carry. They went away from the run, all of that. The offensive line is getting him killed back there. The defense can't stop anybody. So Caleb Williams is not going to opt out. He's going to keep playing because you can still play for a Pac-12 title. You can still help your team win a lot of games. You're still actually weirdly in the mix, even if you're probably not going to make the college football playoff. But if somehow he decided not to uh, decide not to play, I wouldn't blame. Him. Again, it's not going to happen because you still have Washington, you still have Oregon. You win those two games, you're playing for a Pac-12 title. And bluntly, you're probably going to still win the Heisman Trophy if you win those two games. But I don't blame Caleb Williams. This isn't a Caleb Williams problem. He isn't perfect. And oh, by the way, for all the people, oh, you know, oh, you opt out. You're going to fall down draft boards. No, he's not. Nobody is not going to take Caleb Williams if he decides to opt out. First off, 2020 COVID year. Michael Parsons, Jamar Chase, both opted out. I think it worked out pretty well for them. Two, look at everybody else in this draft. You're not taking a wide receiver, Marvin Harrison, number one. You're not taking a tight end, Brock Bowers, number one. Drake May did not play well on Saturday. Um, you know, Shador Sanders might not even enter the draft. So I, you're not dropping out of that spot. And I wouldn't blame Caleb Williams if he decided to opt out, even though he won't. Secondly, let me also say this. Last week, Dan Patrick from Fox Sports Radio was the first one to put out the rumor that that Lincoln Riley is essentially shopping himself to NFL teams. Now, I had actually heard this a day or so before uh, before uh, Dan Patrick put it out. And what I was essentially told, I don't think Lincoln Riley is necessarily in a rush to go to the NFL. What my understanding of the situation is, is he has essentially let some teams know, specifically the Chicago Bears, who I believe won on Sunday. So this maybe doesn't help things. But he has essentially told teams, if you draft Caleb Williams, And if you wanted me to come along, I'd love to hear the conversation. I'd love to have a conversation. So I'm not sold that if X team, you know, if the Arizona Cardinals end up with the fifth pick and they're not getting Caleb Williams, I don't think Lincoln Riley is fighting for that job, but I bring it up because those rumors are out there, but I had this conversation throughout the week. And I thought about this. If you're an NFL team, do you really want Lincoln Riley? Like it sounds crazy. It sounds blasphemous. It sounds whatever. But at the same time think about it like this. What is Lincoln Riley trying to sell to you? Well, I can get the most out of Caleb Williams. Well, first of all, you're not getting the most out of Caleb Williams this year. And two, is Lincoln Riley the only person that can get the most out of Caleb Williams? Because if that's the case, then Caleb Williams isn't the generational prospect that we all think that he is. So you're not already get you're not getting enough out of him already as it is but you're somehow going to get out, get, get more out of them in the NFL. And then beyond that, like Lincoln Riley is just not committed to even trying to feel the competitive defense. And you can sit there and say, Oh, it's Alex Grinch's fault. The defensive coordinator. Here's the bottom line. Lincoln Riley is now in like year eight as a, as a college football head coach started in 2017. So 17, 18, 19, 21, two, three. So seventh year as a, as a head coach, he has never had a competitive defense. And remember, he inherited Mike Stoops, Bob Stoops' brother, from Bob Stoops, and he fired Bob Stoops to Mike Stoops to bring in his own guy. And then he brought Alex Grinch with him to USC. So this guy has never been committed to defense. You can't say, well, I mean, if he just gets his guy, he needs more time. He's had his guy. So if you're an NFL team, what is the pitch? Oh, we could bring this guy who isn't getting the most out of this quarterback and isn't committed to defense. I'm sorry. I I wouldn't hire Lincoln Riley. The only way I'd I'd hire Lincoln Riley is if I had control over who the defensive coordinator was. In other words, you're not bringing your own guy. You're not hiring your own guy. You take control of the offense. You can be the head coach. You can call the plays, but I'm going to hire my guy as the general manager or my guy as the owner to be your defensive coordinator. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Lincoln Riley's coming. So I think Lincoln Riley's stuck at USC, and I think he has a mess on his hands because this team is undisciplined. He hasn't had a good year. Caleb Williams has regressed. It's been a disappointing season all around. What a sec. Am I on fire today or what? I just feel like the takes are spicy and they're flowing like Niagara Falls. It's been a great show. So we're going to take a quick break. Come back. When we come back, we'll wrap the show. I want to talk a little Bama, Tennessee. Clemson you talk about a mess oh we're talking Clemson quick break be right back
1: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win
2: I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do want to go ahead and wrap with the rest of the week eight college football slate. Cannot believe we are through eight weeks of the season. The good news is the best is yet to come. It is a fascinating time. I think I said it last Wednesday's show, but this is the kind of time of year where things start to get crazy, where some fan bases are really happy. Some fan bases aren't weird stuff starts to happen so let's dive into the rest of the saturday slate couple top 25 matchups we have not gotten to first one as i said on on friday's show it is the rivalry that you can quite literally set your watch to third saturday in october tennessee at alabama and this one obviously had some really big stakes top 20 matchup tennessee won last year to break a streak that had gone on forever and to tennessee's credit played maybe the best half of their season, jumping out to a 20-7 to lead. At the same time, though, while I would love to come on this show here on a Monday and have a bold, scorching hot take, I don't really have one because even when Tennessee had that lead at halftime, I never really thought Alabama was going to lose that game. And then when Alabama, to open the second half, hits a deep touchdown pass within the first minute to cut it to 2014, I just kind of sat there and said, like, Alabama's going to win. Um, you know, this is who Alabama has been since the loss to Texas, as they figured out who they are. Remember Ole Miss a few weeks ago to open SEC play. It was 10 to seven at the half. Alabama won 24 to 10 going away. Texas A&M a few weeks ago, they actually trailed at the half. People forget that they trailed at the half. They stayed calm. The defense wore down Texas A&M, made more big plays than they won. And so I'm not really surprised. And I don't know that I have any like amazingly bold takes on either team. I do think there was some interesting stuff, though, and I want to start with Tennessee. And I, I understand Tennessee fans are upset with the referees, not happy with a lot of things that did not go their way. Josh Heupel had some comments where he sort of blamed the refs, but didn't come out and say it in the post game press conference. Listen, I'll be blunt. I love I, all. I love all nation. Love Tennessee fans couple Tennessee fans were asking me to come down. UConn plays in, uh, you know, in Neyland Stadium a few weeks from now, come down. That will not be happening, by the way. The refs are not the reason you lost the game. The reason you lost the game, Alabama is one, a really good team. And obviously late in the game, Joe Milton, a crucial mistake, strip sack score, which ended up essentially being the difference in the game. And so it's not that I don't think that refereeing could be better. I think every game that's ever been played could probably be refereed a little bit better. But I just bring it up because the refs are not the reason you lost the game. You went scoreless in the second half. That is ultimately why you lost the game. At the same time, though, let me also say this about Tennessee. And I know people aren't into moral victories on Monday after you lose a big conference game uh, against a rival. Obviously, Tennessee, in theory, was in in position in the SEC East. They obviously still have to play Georgia, Missouri, etc. But at the same time, let me say this for Tennessee. I know there's no moral victories, but that felt like a super positive result for Vol Nation. Let me explain why. Tennessee this year, in theory, this was supposed to be a rebuild, right? You lose Hendon Hooker. You lose Jalen Hyatt. You lose some really good players on defense. Now, you had a lot coming back. By the way, you lose Brew McCoy to injury this year. And so when I look at Tennessee right now, this is a Tennessee team. They won against Alabama last year. They were up 20-7 to seven at the half this year. And even if we don't think this is a vintage Alabama team, like Tennessee was in position to beat Alabama for a second straight year on the road with a team that is nothing resembling one of the best teams that they, in theory, could have under Josh Hype. My biggest takeaway is, Tennessee fans, you should be popping champagne because you have the right coach. In a year where your offensive genius head coach Does not trust his quarterback. That is indisputable. You were on the road with a double-digit lead at the half against Alabama. And so you can blame the refs. You could talk about this. You could talk about that. I think it's a positive, though. You mean to tell me that that this year, if you had told me that that by week eight, Josh Heupel just would not trust Joe Milton in big situations. I think Tennessee fans would be like, what, you know, that's seven games. What are we, four and three? Three and four? No, you're five and two. The loss to Florida, you know, that's a different conversation. But you were in this game against Alabama. You beat a top 20, te- or you beat a Texas AM team at home that I, I believe was ranked. I could be wrong on that. Um, but a, a Texas AM team that still is plenty talented. You're in very interesting position going to the second half of the year. You play in Kentucky, a team that you have largely had success against. I think this is all positive. And you know what? When I think about Josh Heupel, I think about Remember when Deion Sanders in Colorado lost to USC and coach prime went to the podium and he said, guess what? This is the worst we're ever going to be. So you better get us now. That's kind of how I feel about Tennessee. Like this is kind of the worst team that Josh Heupel is ever going to have. There is never going to be a year where he trusts his quarterback less. And so because of it, I think it's nothing but a positive for Tennessee. I know you want to win the game. I know you're mad at the refs. There are silver linings. And I think this is it. And oh, by the way, Georgia probably not going to have Brock Bowers in a couple of weeks. Kentucky, you guys have had a lot of success against Kentucky. We'll see what happens. I, I just think there's a lot of positives for Tennessee from the Alabama perspective. You know, this might be a deeper dive during the week. Alabama is on a buy this week. So, I, you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this now. But I believe you could argue that this is one of Nick Saban's best coaching jobs, and we've talked so much about it. The changes, the this, the that, the whatever. You've heard me talk about it a million times. I don't need to repeat it. But at the same time, To be in this position, to be 7-1 and going into your bye, you beat LSU, you're essentially going to the SEC Championship game. Now, I know in theory they still have at Kentucky and at Auburn, so I get that. I get that the SEC schedule is not over, but you beat LSU, nobody is catching you. And so because of it, everything is still ahead. I thought it was interesting after the game, Nick Saban talked about a lot about this is one of his favorite seasons to coach, and he kind of said, like, this team kind of drives me crazy but they're about the right things. They have the right mentality. They work hard. They work together. And I give Nick Saban a ton of credit, had to make changes on that staff in the off season. Kevin Steele is no doubt about it. A stud. Okay. I don't care if he's 90 or he's like, I think he's like 66 years old or something like that. The guy knows defense. Okay. And I, I'm not scheme guy. I'm not telling you how he's doing it, but he has stuff figured out. As I said, dominant second half against Ole Miss, dominant second half against Texas A&M, dominant second half against Tennessee. So credit to Nick Saban for bringing back that guy. Credit to Nick Saban for finding Tommy Reese. And I know Tommy Reese, there's still a little, uh, Alabama fans don't know what to think of him, but he has figured out how to go ahead and and, and take care of business with this team um, and, and, and really put his players in position to succeed. So from the Alabama perspective, I think this is one of the best coaching jobs that Nick Saban has done. Maybe we dive on it on Wednesday's pod. I think they've done a very good job. Really quickly, other top 25 matchup. Not going to spend too much time on this. Florida State against Duke. Duke, first of all, had the lead and control in this game until their starting quarterback, Riley Leonard, gets hurt. Okay. Um I want to give Duke credit. They are so good. Like like they are so well coached. Mike Elko was ironically uh Texas A&M's former defensive coordinator and I, you know listen. I'm not a Texas oil billionaire who's a Texas A&M fan. If I was and money was no object and it really goes sideways, pay pay Jimbo's buyout to go get Mike Elko because t- Texas AM or t- uh t- Texas A&M Duke on the road at Florida State was in control of this game. Remember they were up 20 to 17 going into the fourth quarter. Uh Riley Leonard gets hurt, Florida State pulls away, Florida State wins. Credit to Duke for the valiant effort. I do think it's kind of worth noting this with Florida State. I think it's a little early to punch anybody's ticket to the uh to the to the college football playoff. But look at Florida State's back half of the schedule, okay? So they're 7-0. and By the way, this is why I like them to make the playoff in the preseason. I said they're two toughest games. LSU at Clemson are in September. If they can go 1-1, they're going to be favored in every game the rest of the year. Well, now they didn't, they went 2-0 and in those, 7-0 and right now. Final five at Wake Forest, at Pitt, Miami at home, North Alabama at Florida. I don't see a loss there. Now if you want to argue that maybe Florida's getting a little bit better and things are da 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 and this and that um you know then then yeah like maybe you can argue that Florida on the road is going to be a different deal maybe you argue Miami is coming on strong whatever I just bring it up to say I don't see a loss on that schedule and I certainly even if you lose are you going to lose a, a game and then in the ACC championship I guess in theory you catch North Carolina on the wrong night you catch whoever you know i'm trying to think of who they could potentially play louisville uh maybe this duke team again at full strength i don't know i mean i guess in theory but what i would say from florida state's perspective they feel pretty good to me that they are going to probably finish the regular season undefeated probably go into the acc championship game with a maximum of one loss and be favored there again you don't want to put the cart before the horse but it does feel like to me that is a team that is in very probably better position than anybody right Washington still has a couple big games. Oregon has some big games. uh, Oklahoma, Texas all struggled on Saturday. At some point, like like some of those teams are going to lose. Florida State's in really good shape. All right, finally, I do want to wrap. There is one final game, and it did not feature a top 25 matchup. As a matter of fact, it did not feature a single ranked team. It was the Clemson-Miami game. And we talked a little bit about this on Friday's show. Certainly talked about it on the college football betting pod last week. Um, You know, Miami wins in overtime, 28-20. First of all, congrats to Miami. Two-game losing streak. I didn't think they had played that bad. Miami's biggest problem was they turned the ball over nine times in the last two games. Uh, And I said, look, if you just take care of the football, you're you're, you're a better team than that record says you are. Well, guess what? One turnover in that game, they end up winning. But the story is obviously Clemson. Clemson loses this game to fall to four and three overall through seven games and two and three in the ACC. And so it's interesting because as I thought about today's show, I kind of wondered, I was like, is there really another conversation to be had about Clemson? We talked about it two seasons ago with DJ. We talked about it last year when they did not make the college football playoff. We talked about it when they lost to Duke earlier this season. This is a program that has been regressing. This is a program that has been going in the wrong direction. It is for all the reasons that we've already talked about. Dabo Sweeney is stubborn in the transfer portal. Dabo Sweeney doesn't have a transformational quarterback like Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. He's lost some good assistants like Brent Venables. And so I didn't know if I should really talk about it. But I saw some stuff that I think is worth noting. As far as why this really, th- th- this to me let, me, let me, let me, why we're talking about this. This feels like the moment in time that it is absolutely indisputable that Clemson is no longer an elite program. Two national championships in all of our memories, they deserve, you know, have the parades, have the celebrations, have the anniversaries. But that program is gone. And I don't know if it's ever going to come back. Okay. First of all, the, the stats are jarring, okay and, and I'm sure many of you saw these on social media. but Clemson going back to last year, how about this? these stats are insane. Do you know that Clemson in their last 13 games overall? Clemson is seven and six in their last 13 games. seven and six overall in their last 13 games. lost two games in November last year. Plus the bowl game to Tennessee. Now, obviously, four and three this season. Beyond that, they're three and five in their last eight power five games. That is insane. And it speaks to something we've talked about on this show. And I know we talked about after they lost to Duke. This is not the same program with the same juice that they had even three, four years ago. Okay. Bottom line is, you watch that Duke game; it stood out, and it stood out against Miami, and it stood out against Wake Forest, and pretty much everybody they played. They don't got the dudes anymore. I mean, the the the, the most important moment of Clemson season probably goes back to Week One Labor Day weekend, when they're playing Duke at Duke, and Tom Luganbill, who has a background in scouting, his dad was a college coach. He said, "Guys, I'm standing on the field. Athletically, there is no difference." between Clemson and Duke. Zero difference in size speed athleticism. Now maybe some of the credit should go to Mike Elko the Duke coach on that, but it doesn't change the fact that that is a jarring statement to make about Clemson. And so you look at this team. They're not special at quarterback. I keep being told that Cade Klubnik is going to get there? It hasn't happened yet. Doesn't it doesn't help that the offensive line is not good. He doesn't have wide receivers that can separate the defense is still good, but it's not elite, and so I don't know what this team does well. And I think the shocking thing is, it used to always be like, you know, maybe they're this, maybe but 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 at least in the, I mean they run the ACC, and then it's just a, clen- a a question of can they beat Alabama, can they beat Georgia, can they beat Ohio State, whatever. They are probably right now in 2023, right now, and it, it, it's it ebbs and flows. What are they in the ACC right now? What are they about the sixth best team in that league? That sounds like hyperbole, but think about it. They lost to Florida state, not better than Florida state. Lost to Duke. They're not better than Duke lost to Miami. They're not better than Miami. I don't think they're better than North Carolina right now. I don't think that they're better than Louisville right now. So that's five teams right there. Could have lost to wake forest at home. Wake forest is four and three. And so what it says to me is that this program is at a crossroads. And I think up until this moment in time, you could always blame it on something else, right? The last two years, we know who took the blame. It was DJ Uyla He's not the guy. He's not Trevor. He's not Deshaun. Well, he left this year. He's doing pretty well at Oregon State. Oregon State's in the top 20. Then you lose to Duke, and it's turnovers, and it's opening night, and it's fine, and you're going to bounce back. Then you play Florida State. And you're probably the better team for about three, three quarters and change. You have that that scoop and score that goes the other way for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, you lose that Florida State game. But Florida State might win a national championship this year. So you lose to Florida State. Duke's about turnovers. There's no excuse for Miami. I think Miami's probably a little bit better than people think. But at the same time, there's no excuse. There is no DJ to blame. There is no turnovers to blame. There is no maybe a program has just elevated itself to blame. You are just, you know, to use the term that kids use, you're just mid right now. You're, you're mid, like you're just average. You're nothing, you're nothing special. And so can they get it back? I don't know. Like we've talked about it on this show so many times. You don't need me to tell you, you don't need me to do the rant on the transfer portal again. We know Dabo has refused to use the transfer portal. We know that literally everybody in college football thinks it's wrong. I, you know, that's the crazy thing, right? Like you pick any topic in sports, you can find somebody to defend it. Like James Harden's fat, excuse my language, but he's fat and out of shape and he's demanding a trade for the third time in three years. And there's somebody in the media that will defend it. John Morant's bringing guns everywhere. And there's somebody that's going to defend it. I haven't heard anybody defend Davo Sweeney in the transfer portal. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, comparing potentially c- carrying illegal guns to Dabo not using the transfer portal, but you get the point. There's always somebody that's willing to defend it. I haven't heard anybody say, you know, Dabo's probably got it right by not using this incredible resource to add talent to his roster all while using it, because that's the thing, right? Like it'd be one thing if LSU, USC, Colorado were adding, adding, adding without losing anything, but they're adding while also losing. They're kind of trying to force out the bottom third of their roster and, and, and improve it on the top third. Clemson's losing the bottom third. They're not replacing them with anybody. They're, not, they're replacing him with freshmen, but it takes two or three years, and then a lot of those freshmen aren't making it, and they're transferring too. So I could go on and on. We know Dabo's stance on the portal is not working. He tried to shake up the coaching staff this offseason with Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother. Bad day to be a, a Riley brother, by the way, right? Bad day to be a Riley brother. Um, so I, I don't know what else to say. I could go on and on about Clemson, but at a certain point, Dabo's got to look himself in the mirror and say, do I want to be a lead again or not? because they're good. They're fine. They're at best the third or fourth best team in the ACC. And we know the standard of Clemson is not that. And I don't know if it's ever going to come back. Last thought, by the way, all those things that everybody said about Alabama dynasty's dead, never coming back. That's actually Clemson. Like that's the thing that stands out. That is actually Clemson, not Alabama. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the year in Taurus pod. I've talked long enough and this was a great show. What a show. This was like, like again, I know I said it after last segment. I don't know if I if I you know ate something. I don't know if I took a little blue pill by accident that I wasn't aware of, but I had too much coffee. I don't know what it was, but this was a great, great, great show. A great show. I just I think I said it on Wednesday. I know I said it on Wednesday, and I just said it a minute ago. Late October is just such a fun time because it really is that time where college football starts to get weird where some teams, the Michigans, the Ohio States today. Some teams are really happy. And then you got those teams where there are people that are mad and demanding answers. I would not want to be the AD at Clemson right now, at Texas AM right now. Um, you know, Kentucky. I thought it was a few bad weeks for Mark Stoops. It is a crazy, crazy, crazy time. But it is time for me to get out of here. It is time for me to go. If you're not subscribed to the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast, please make sure to do so. Do it for your boy, Taurus. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to subscribe. By the way, if you're not subscribed on YouTube, we are well over 27,000 subscribers right now. So make sure to subscribe there and make sure uh, you're getting all our content there uh, because it is a great place to get content. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Taurus on Twitter at Aaron Taurus pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres pod on TikTok. So I hate to brag, but on Friday, I was bored. I talked to a buddy who works in the media. I don't really want to say his name because he didn't want his name out there, but he basically taught me how to use TikTok. And I'm kind of crazy about TikTok right now. I was making all the cool videos with the weird, you know, pictures in the background that change. I had myself a little Friday, people. All right. I'm getting goofy here. It's time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Make sure to follow on social media. And that's really it. By the way, College Hoops is coming. Make sure to be subscribed to YouTube as well. College Fo- College Hoops Daily with Zach Kroll. Been doing some episodes there with him. Last week we did the Big East and the SEC. Tomorrow we will hit on the ACC. It's all for today's show. Time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for your support. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Redick. UF head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Wednesday. I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about this week. Aaron Torres.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.